turn your attention to the book of Acts. All right, good to have you right here this very morning in God's house. Amen. What a great God we serve. Wonderful King. Amen. Acts chapter 10. It's certainly become a literal truth in my life. Oh, come, let us magnify the Lord. <laughs> the word of the Lord. Yes, Lord. Okay, Acts chapter 10. And I would like to uh, read to you verse 17. The 17th verse of Acts chapter 10. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold the men which were sent from Cornelius's had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was lodged there. Everybody said praise the Lord. God's timing is perfect, church family. He never fails, never makes a mistake. I want to work for a little while this morning on moving forward without doubt. You may be seated. The Lord bless you. You know, as you watch in reading or hearing, how that the church, that Jesus, the only church he ever started, ever built. Please don't get a picture of church house when we say church. We're talking about the body of believers. Okay, It's made up of people universally throughout the earth. It had a starting place in a city called Jerusalem in the Middle East. And from there the church begin to branch out, the body of Christ begin to branch out more and more, reaching people everywhere. A simple example, in the second chapter of Acts is where it began, of course, where the outpouring of God's Spirit took place for the first time, for whosoever will. And there was about 120, just like you, had gathered together in an upper room that became the church house that day. And that upper room was filled with God's presence. And those people in that upper room were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they all began to speak with other tongues or languages. They all began to speak with other languages as the Spirit of God gave them the ability to do so. It wasn't something that they were doing on their own, okay? This was God operating, God doing something here that you and I want to recognize, and we want to comprehend it. We want to have faith in it. And so, as the church moved forward from that experience in Acts chapter 2, these people were so enthused and so 
filled with God's Spirit that some people looked at them and, and thought they were drunk. But Peter said they're not drunk like you think they're drunk. You're thinking natural. You're thinking carnally. You're thinking about the club. You're thinking about the wrong things. He said, I'm telling you, these have received the gift of the Holy Ghost. They're, they're drunk on what we call new wine, wine from heaven. And this won't leave you shamed. This will not uh, inhibit your senses or impair your senses. But this is going to give you the gift of life eternal. And so, the Bible teaches that from that moment, from that experience, that the church began to grow. It began to reach new people throughout the city of Jerusalem until they filled Jerusalem with the apostles' doctrine, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And in filling them, the city that is, with that doctrine, people were being baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ. And it was for the forgiveness of all of their sins. People were getting their sins washed away. Their lives were being changed for the good because they were having putting they were putting their faith in God. You know, you can, I was telling somebody, you can invest in some things in life that will disappoint you. Uh, I had an aunt that all her life, from a young graduate in high school, she uh, served as a nurse in uh, World War II. She was on a ship in the Pacific Ocean, and uh, she survived that experience, and uh, she went on to become a nurse uh, in a hospital and several different ones until finally she... Uh, went up the ladder and she became into administration. She was very, very gifted and, and very uh, well thought of. And um, she had always, she had one daughter and she always saved her money and put it into certain things that, uh, like a, I don't know, 401k, they call it today, whatever it was called then, some type of a, a savings and um, through her job. And later on in life, she um, was ready to retire, and uh, she actually got sick herself. She'd had some kind of heart problem. And uh, when she went to get that money to retire on, lo and behold, the money was all gone. They claimed that, you know, something had gone wrong with the market, and the money had disappeared. And she, along with many others who had invested uh, what you would call their life savings, were left desolate. And her health went down further from the shock and the trauma of all of that until she finally died. And uh, what I'm saying to you is that you can invest what God trusts you with, what God gives you, and you can put it in the wrong thing. And uh, I want to tell you that God has given to you, each of you, the measure of faith. God's given you that. It's in your heart right here. It's in your heart. And he wants you to place that faith in him. He gave it to you to invest wisely to place it in him. Now, when the church continued, the believers, in other words, continued to go forward, the Bible teaches that there came a day when the apostle Peter 
was at a seaport, a little area uh, known as Joppa. And while he was there, he was on the rooftop of a, an, like an apartment complex, and he was praying, and God began to talk to him, and God began to show him things. And as God showed him something, the Bible said that he doubted in himself. He just doubted what was going on. Is this God? And If it is, I don't know what he's saying. I don't know what he's showing me, and I, I'm having doubt here. But while he doubted in himself, you know, God works on both ends of the line, okay? He has a way of balancing things out. He has a way of confirming things. He has a way of helping us to put our faith where we should put it and to trust in him with all of our heart and not to lean to our own understanding, but to acknowledge him. We acknowledge you, God. You are God. You are real. You are great. You are mighty. And, and uh, our faith is in you. Our belief is in you. And we're looking to you to lead and guide us into all truth and to show us what direction we should go. We're trusting you and believing you. And people have, through the history of the Bible, people have put their God-given faith and invested it in the Lord. I think I mentioned the other night uh, when Brother Lewis had got done preaching about investing in God and how uh, I mentioned that the Lord had given to one individual five talents, which was a goodly sum of money, particularly in those days. And um, a talent was a unit of money in those days, like a dollar is here. And so in doing that, the Bible teaches that the Lord came to talk to the individual and asked him, what have you done with what I gave you? And he said, well, I invested it in the work of the Lord, and I've been able to double what you gave me. You gave me five, now I have ten. And the Lord called him a good and faithful servant and promised and blessed him uh, with a reward because he'd been faithful. And then he gave to another, he had given two talents and still a goodly sum and something to be valued. And this individual also doubled what the Lord had given to him. And he, in other words, had invested wisely. He invested in God. What God gave to him, he invested it in the kingdom of God. And the Lord blessed. And so the Lord said, well, okay, then I'm going to reward you because you've been faithful. And then he came to the third individual that he gave one talent to, which, again, still a goodly sum of money, good, good investment. And the Bible teaches that this individual, when asked, what have you done with what I gave to you? And he said, well, I, he began to say these insulting things. He began to say, well, you know, my, the way I look at it, my viewpoint of you is that you're hard and you're austere, meaning that you're, you're very stern, you're very disciplined, you're very serious and sober. And uh, I was afraid. That's really what was wrong. I was afraid. And, and, and so I, I took what you gave me, 
and I, I didn't invest it in the kingdom of God. I didn't invest my time. I didn't invest my energy. I didn't invest my faith. I didn't invest what you gave to me. I got very wrapped up. I thought, well, let me, let me get involved with what the world is doing. Let me follow their line of thinking. Let me listen to what they're saying. And I stood around with them, and I listened to what they had to say, and I, I subscribed to the things that they said. I bought into what they said, and I took what you gave me, all wrapped up in that kind of thinking. And then I dug a hole for myself, all right, <laughs> in the earth, and I buried it. I got all entangled and all buried in the things of the world instead of the things of the kingdom of God. I doubted within myself what you had given me, what you were showing me, and where you were trying to lead me. To the point that I doubted in myself. And the Lord became very angry with this individual. You know, you don't want God to be angry with you. You really don't want that. The writer, the psalmist, he gave to us these words. He said, train me, discipline me, but don't do it in your hot displeasure. Don't do it in your anger. And don't do it in your wrath. I don't want to have to experience that kind of backlash. Please don't. Train me that way. I would rather acknowledge you. I would rather praise you. I would rather say that you are God. And I would rather submit myself. I'm not going to be afraid. You know, Jesus came to them one day when they were in a storm. And uh, as they came, as he came to them and they were in this storm and they were fearful of, and mixed up and confused and doubting what was going on, then the Bible teaches that Jesus came upon them and he saw their fear and he told them, don't be afraid. Why are you so fearful? There are things in life that we should be fearful about. We should be fearful about disease. We should be fearful about falling the wrong side of the authorities and winding up in jail. We should be fearful of things that are in society and in this world, wars and rumors of wars. Pestilence and famine. We should be fearful of these things. To the point that it builds in us a healthy respect. A fear. What did the Lord say? I'll show you whom you ought to fear. You want to talk about fear? He said, don't you fear man. Don't you fear what man can do to you. Don't you fear people who are saying stuff and ridiculing you and making fun of you and, you know, you're afraid of what they're going to say about you 
starting to move in the direction towards God and getting your life changed for the good. Saying, you don't want to fear that. He said, let me tell you what you ought to fear. He said, you don't even need to fear the devil. He said, but you need to fear him who can destroy your soul in hell. He said that, that that's for eternity. There's no getting out of there. You've read no doubt in the Bible or heard it preached about the man that he fared sumptuously, the Bible said, every day. He lived high on the hog every day. Oh, he had it. He had it going on. People envied him. They looked at him and they watched him and they saw how he dressed and they saw how he went in and out and he just fared sumptuously. He was just raking it in until the point that he saw those that represented the church, particularly one whose name was Lazarus. And he, he looked down on him. He uh, put his nose up at him. And uh, Lazarus would invite him to church. Lazarus would be a good light. Even though Lazarus, in bringing the message and bringing the light, bringing the truth, there were many things that the enemy fought the church over and fought Lazarus over to the point that Lazarus broke out in sores even to the point that the dogs would come and lick Lazarus' sores. And meanwhile, this other guy's walking by with his fine outfits, his fine clothing, and he's just looking down at the church and saying, I don't want to be nothing like that. And uh, But you know the time came, as it will to everybody, that the fellow in the church, he died. And when he died, the Bible said that the angels came and carried him away. No more swords. No more dogs licking his sores. No more ridicule. No more somebody looking down on him. The angels came and carried him away. And you know what? It came to pass also somewhere around the same time that the this rich man, this fellow who fared sumptuously, this fellow who just enjoyed himself in this life to the hilt, to the max. But he also died. The Bible said he was buried. All it said, he was buried. No angels came for him. The Bible said that after he died, he lifted up his eyes in hell, in torment. And he got to see something that he saw every day for a long time and that he ignored. Maybe he even said one day, I'll check that out. But that day never came and he never did. And he doubted constantly in himself about what God was trying to show him. But now he's not doubting. 
Now he's lifting up his eyes in hell and torment. And that's all there is in hell is torment. He lifted up his eyes and he was able to see once again Lazarus. Only Lazarus now is in the lap of luxury. Lazarus is in the place of comfort. Lazarus is in the place of no disease, no sorrow, no war, no suffering. And he he's just taken back this fellow in hell. And he said, could you send Lazarus to me? He's calling now for Lazarus, the one that he pushed away, the one that he ridiculed, the one that he ignored. And now he's asking for him to come. And if he would just dip his finger in water and come touch the end of my tongue, my parched tongue, because I'm in torment here. I'm thirsty. But the answer came back and said, you know, there's a great gulf, a great chasm, a great divide betwixt where you're at and where Lazarus is at. And one cannot pass over that. Not that anybody would want to leave where Lazarus was at and go to where the fellow in hell was at. But everybody in hell wanted to get out of there and go to where Lazarus was at now. But nobody could do that. It was an impossibility. And uh, consequently, somebody realized that I misplaced my faith. I didn't use my God-given faith for what God gave it to me for. I didn't put it in God's kingdom. I didn't, I didn't listen and be motivated and be moved in the direction that faith was trying to move me, was trying to bring me closer to God, was trying to bring me closer to God's will, was trying to show me what all God was about to do. Do you know that God has so many good things in store for you and for your life if you will only have faith in what he's doing, if you'll only use the faith that he's given you for what he's given it to you for and not put it in the wrong things, not get wrapped up and entangled in the affairs of this life. Let the affairs of this life be none of your affairs. And let the things of God become the things that you're concerned about, that you're seeking after. It is written, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Make that your priority. Oh God, let me not doubt what you're doing and what you're showing me. And about that time that Peter was doubting in himself, there came a knock at the door. God working on both ends. The timing. You know, God's timing is right. It's you and I that kind of lag behind. It's you and I that get distracted. It's you and I that start going about other things while God is calling. 
while his hands are figuratively are stretched out all day long and that he's reaching for us, beckoning us, trying to pull us to him and make us realize that you're living in a time of opportunity. You're living in a moment of time when you can place your faith in me and in my program and in my plans for you. I've got good things planned for you. And surely you want out of the descending mess that you keep falling into. Into the miry clay. That's a thing about quicksand that I've read about. That the more that you wiggle, the more you sink. The more that you twist and fight against and, you know. But the Lord, the Lord can reach and is there's no place too far for his arm to reach. And he can reach to you. And he, the Bible uses the word pluck. He can pluck you out. He can pull you out of the mess that you're descending into. And he, if you'll put your faith, you've got that faith. You need to believe that. You've got that faith. It's given to you, just like the man was given the talent. And instead of using it for what God gave it to him for, he put it in something else. Only to be bitterly disappointed. To be called an excuse maker. To make God angry. I don't want God to be angry with me. I don't want Him to be angry with you. I want God to be pleased. I want God to look and say, this is somebody that's taking what I've given to them and they're returning it and putting it in the right thing, the kingdom of God. They're investing it. And that's what He said to the individual. He said, you know, you could have at the very least taken what I gave to you and put it in a, in a place that it would have earned interest. You could have done that. You know, you become the principal. Every one of you. That's what banking, you know, when you put a dollar in a savings account, that's the principal. And it earns interest. The bank will pay you to put your dollar in an account in the bank. Instead of going and buying that Big Mac or, you know, going by some place and picking up some silly little trivial thing and you down the road won't even be, remember what you spent the money on, but the money will be gone. But you could have taken that dollar or $5 or $10 and you could have disciplined yourself. So I'm going to put that in the savings account. And that builds a nest of principal. And that principal will earn interest. So your money will earn money. And your faith will earn faith. And the Lord said, why didn't you at least take what I've given you and invested it so that it would have earned some interest? Why did you put it in something so useless and so worthless that it 
as to wrap it up in this world and to dig a hole and bury it in this world. That it, it didn't earn anything. It didn't do anything. You just wasted it. He said, you're, and, and your excuses are insults to me. You're, you're, you're judging me and misjudging me when in reality, I am looking out for your best interests. I'm trying to give you something that you can use it that will benefit you and those you love down the road. And so, Peter was told by the Lord, there's three people at your door right now. And they're knocking. They're looking for you. They're inquiring for you, Peter. You know, when you get the truth, when you obey the message, when you get baptized in Jesus' name, you get filled with the Holy Ghost, you become men and you become women of demand. People will be looking for you. People will say, that's somebody that can help me. That's somebody that I see good in them. I see true prosperity in them. I, you don't need to get jealous when somebody is being blessed in the church. You need to look at them and say, what are they doing that I'm not? How can I get the blessing of God in my life, in my finances, in every phase and facet of my life? How? How can I also get that upon me? And so Peter was told, they're knocking at your door. They're looking for you. Now you go with them and doubt nothing. I'm in this. What I'm doing is for your benefit and for others, the benefit of others. You go now, Peter, and you put your faith. Don't you doubt you put your faith in what's going on. And so Peter went with them, and he took six men of the church with him, and they went with these individuals. And you know, when they got where their travels brought them to, they found out that God had everything prepared. Everything was ready. Cornelius came to the door, and he said, we're all here. We've all gathered together. My kinfolk are here. My friends, and my acquaintances are all here. And we're here to hear all things commanded thee of God. We want to hear your testimony. We want you to tell us about Jesus. Well, Peter was ready to do that. And he said here in the book of Acts chapter 10, and I believe it's verse 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. You see, God's not looking down on anybody. God's not saying this one's better than that one. But he's no respecter of persons. He would, and his will, is that all men would be saved. All people would be saved. That everybody would come to the knowledge of the truth. 
And that Peter said, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. You show God, I'm bringing the faith that you've placed in my heart. I'm bringing that to you, Lord. And I'm, I'm presenting it. I want to invest it in the church, in the kingdom of God, in the work of God. I want to, I want to get my life right. I want to seek first. Let this be the first day of the rest of my life. Let this be the day that I repent. And I a repentance means I make a turnaround. I'm going to quit following Satan. I'm going to quit wrapping myself up and my life up and my faith up in the wrong things and burying myself in this world. <clears throat> Rather, I'm going to make an about face. I'm repenting. I'm going to change the pattern here. And I'm going to I'm going to start seeking your kingdom. I'm going to become a part of the work of God. I want to be in the church, the body of Christ. And you know, the Bible said here that the word which God sent, that he was preaching peace to the people that he sent his word to by Jesus Christ. And he said of Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Now you want to keep that in mind, okay? Verse 36 of chapter 10 describes Jesus Christ saying, He is Lord of all. And he said, That word I say you know, which was published. Okay, that's what you're getting. And he said, This all started after the baptism which John the baptizer preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. That means the Spirit anointed the flesh. The flesh is what Mary gave birth to. And that babe grew in grace and knowledge and went about and had an earthly ministry. And how that the Spirit anointed that man Christ Jesus, known as the Son of God, with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. The Spirit was with him. Oh yes, the Spirit was with him. In him dwell the fullness of the very God or the Spirit bodily. That's right. That's what your Bible said. And we are witnesses, Peter said, of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and they hung on a tree. They crucified him. But God, the Spirit that is, raised him up the third day and showed him alive. Not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of the Spirit, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the living and dead. To give to him, give all the prophets, all your Old Testament witness, that through his name, that name is Jesus Christ, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sin. Through his name, when you are baptized in water in his name, your sins are forgiven, fully pardoned, 
Think about everything you ever did wrong, thought wrong, said wrong, acted wrong. Things that you know in your heart that you're convicted about, that you have a guilty conscience about, can all be forgiven. All of it. What a clean feeling that is. And while Peter yet spake these words, the Bible said to these people, the Holy Ghost, the gift of the Holy Ghost, fell on all them which heard the word. These people were listening, remember. Cornelius said, we're all here to hear all things commanded thee of the Spirit. So while Peter yet spake these words, while he preached his sermon, the Bible said that the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the Jews which believed, the ones that came with Peter, they were astonished because God poured out his Spirit on non-Jewish people. And that's what Peter said in the beginning, didn't he? He said, I perceive that every nation, that people that fear God, every nation, it's not just going to be for some select little group in some little part of the world. This is going to be for everybody, everywhere. And everybody said amen. Everybody said praise the Lord. Let's give God a big hand. Come on. Oh, yes. And so... Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. The Jewish part of the church was astonished, the ones that came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues or with other languages and magnify God. And then answered Peter and said, Can any man forbid water? He looked at those six Jewish brethren that he brought with him from Joppa. And he was saying, can anybody forbid baptism to these men that have just received the Holy Ghost? You have to understand that these Jewish had always been taught that you don't have anything to do with anybody that isn't Jewish. It was a, a built-in separation that needed to be for a period of time under the law. But no more. No more. Now, now, God's spirit and salvation is being given to, or, or, shall I say, offered to everybody, everywhere. And that's why when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible teaches that there was a veil that separated, and that veil was cut in half, signifying that now everybody can, has access to God's salvation. No matter what country, no matter what language, no matter what background, everybody could have the salvation of God. And so he said, is anybody here going to forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost the same way we did? And he, Peter, commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Remember I told you, verse 36, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all? To be baptized in the name of the Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And then he baptized them. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? I want you to understand that if you won't doubt 
and you'll use what God's given to you, then we're ready. We want to baptize you. We want to baptize you in water in the name of Jesus Christ. And it'll be for the forgiveness of all of your sins. And then we're going to pray for you when you come up out of the water because, see, when, we, when you go down in the water, you're, it's a burial. And we're burying the old you, the old nature, the sinful nature that we're all born with. But we're burying that. We're putting that off. And when we come up, and we'll bring you up out of the water, when we bring you up out of the water, that's when you're born again of water, as Jesus said you must be. That's when your sins are completely and totally forgiven, washed away. Not because of the water, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And the blood is in his name. And that's why when you're baptized in his name, your sins are forgiven. Because that's the only thing that can give forgiveness of sins is the blood of Jesus Christ. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Okay? Everybody said praise the Lord. So when we bring you up out of the water, that's when you're born again. You're going to be alive. You're going to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. And the heavens are going to open over your life. And God's going to pour out His Spirit upon you. And you're going to receive the free gift of the Holy Ghost. And everybody said praise the Lord. Well, give God another big hand. Amen. And that's what took place and gives us an example here to follow. That's what took place as the church didn't stay to itself, only concerned with itself, but the church began to branch out. And it didn't stop there. And as it went further, that's why you have the rest of the Bible, beginning with the book of Romans, all the way to the book of Revelation. Because you have new congregations that were started in new parts of the world. Because they, the church got the message. We're not to just stick around here and be concerned about only us. But we're to go forth and we're to reach everybody everywhere. We're to, we're to tell them. There's a song. Hopefully we're going to be doing it around here pretty soon. And it said that they say that you're the, the God that opens the blind eyes. They say that you raise the dead. And I like to scream when they're singing that. And I want to say, I want to be part of them that say. I want to be part of the church that is proclaiming and telling everybody everywhere that you too can be saved. You too can be healed. You too can be filled with the gift of the... You too can have your sins forgiven. I want to be part of them that say that he can raise it. That he can open the eyes of the blind. Oh yes. He can make your heart sing. He can give you joy that the Bible said is 
beyond words. It's unspeakable. That, that words fall short. That's why he comes into your heart and speaks through you in another language and begins to express. That's why Romans chapter 10, in teaching the church, the body of Christ, a new congregation at Rome as the church branched out and people were being reached in the center of the world power at that time, known as Rome. They went there and they started a work. They reached new people. And when they did that, that's why they taught and they said, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He said, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Seek ye first the righteousness of God. And he said, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's right. Because God sends forth His Spirit into a believing heart. If you show God that you're believing, if you show God, I want to put the faith you've given me in you. I want to put it in your word. I want to put it in your work. I want to put it in your kingdom. And God's going to, as you repent of your sins, and you come up out of the waters of baptism, God's going to send forth His Spirit into your believing heart. He's going to judge your heart whether or not you're truly believing. And if you are putting your faith in Him, if you're believing in Him, then He's going to speak through you. He's going to speak through you with words that are beyond your vocabulary, that are beyond your ability to express how you're really feeling as He fills you with the gift of God, as He fills you with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And you're going to speak out. You're going to proclaim. And as they said, Peter explained to people who said, these people must be drunk. He said, oh no. He said, they're speaking forth the wonderful works of God. They're bringing to you in, in, in a language that you're going to be able to understand. Because you know what? There were 17 plus nations at Jerusalem that day. And that represented the whole known world. We've had people come. And when somebody got the Holy Ghost, or God used somebody, and they spoke in another language, as God's Spirit gave them the ability to do so. We've had people that spoke that language that that person was speaking and recognized that they were praising and worshiping and magnifying God. Oh, my friend, it's a great miracle. It's a great truth. The world and their religious ways would like to do away with God working. They would like to substitute something natural because the, the natural man cannot receive the things of God. They don't have faith in it. They doubt in themselves. But God said, He's telling you, don't doubt in yourself. He's telling you to take your faith and place it in Him. Place it in His Word. Place it in His truth. 
place it in his righteousness. Seek that first. Put some other things on the back burner. Set some other things aside. Things that you just feel like, you know, you want and you need and you've got to save your money up to go get that. He's saying, put some of those things on the back burner and come seek me. Put me first. Put this first. Try this first. Put the brakes on some other things. And watch what I'll do in and with your life. I'll bring you to an experience. I've got everything ready. Got everything ready. Peter walked into a beautiful experience. And was he ever glad that he quit doubting within himself. And that he went and did what God said. Doubting nothing. And see God move in such a glorious way. While he yet spake. Didn't even get to finish his sermon. While he yet spake. He saw and experienced the Holy Ghost falling on these people just like when he got the Holy Ghost. And just like those other brethren from the church that he brought with him. And man, what an experience it was to be used to reach brand new people. How great is that? And everybody said praise the Lord. Everybody said hallelujah. Oh, thank God. Let's stand together. We need to worship the Lord a little bit here this morning, I'll tell you that. And you need to worship right where you're at. And you need to tell the Lord, today, today, I want it to be my day. Today, I want it to be the day that I lift my heart with my hands to you. And I begin to worship you. I begin to put my faith that you've given me. I want to put it in you. I don't want to be wrapped up in this world anymore. You know? The Jamaicans have a song. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. That's what you want to get wrapped up in. That's what you want to get tied up in. He will do you good. The church will do you good. Amen. Give God a big hand. Let's sing and worship the Lord. Oh, 
Resurrection power. 